Hello, I'm Daniel. I'm Heather. And I'm Claudia. And together, we are Complaints on a podcast. Yeah, that was good. I also got to say podcast, which is very of, exciting to me. Cheering and whoops and stuff yeah. to give it a sense of atmosphere that it clearly doesn't have right now. <laughs> the coronation is what's on everyone's mind. I watched the news yesterday, hoping for some information about the election, uh, and there was absolutely nothing on BBC News. Between 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock in the morning was an hour on the coronation, and then an hour on the relegation battle of the Premier League. Uh, So there's just absolutely nothing to do with the election. So um, I've got nothing to say. Let's talk about the coronation. Much more interesting. I've got... I don't watch BBC News, so I have nothing to say about the coronation. Well, yeah, but you don't have to watch BBC News to have an opinion about the coronation. Um, I just really... Wish the king all the best? Yeah, wish the king all the best. I wear my loyalty to the king. Why are you going to do that? You have, you no, just you did... I'm doing it now. No, 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 you aren't doing it now. You've got to do it on the day in front of your television standing up. Really? Yeah, that's, that's I mean, I heard about this. So okay. they brought in and they've called it a pledge which I think is interesting. I don't know if Pierce Dharma is going to partake, but there's this... Yeah, I, I have the pledge here. Okay. The pledge is here. Pledge. So I'm afraid to say it in case it can't. <laughs> well, once you said it, you're, you're locked in. But yeah. Heather, Heather wants to hear it because she's all, already said what she's going to do on Saturday. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to swear it, but I've got my fingers crossed. I swear that I will pay true allegiance to your majesty and to your heirs and successors according to law, so help me God. What happens if you don't believe in God? You get no help. You get to call <laughs> okay. Well, I was, it's good we've we've covered the coronation now. I feel. Um, Is that it? Is that all we're I mean, but I think Claudia, you might have more to say because you cover royal issues on yeah, your you channel. Ash Sarka, royal correspondent. Yeah. I do consider myself now a royal expert because that is a title that you can just call yourself. I'm like the anti-royal expert because I'm just putting out like anti-monarchy royal information on my channel if anyone wants to check that out. Royal expert has to be synonymous with loving the royal family, which is basically on the news. It's just somebody that's absolutely in love with them and doesn't critique them at all. And then they become a journalist. Yeah, Yeah, anything else, like any other topic where that's... Like a war journalist just loves war, or like a well, I suppose a politics journalist loves politics, but they're critical of the parties. Yeah, well, I mean, what kind of Harry exposed in his book, and like what him and Meghan have been saying is that like the royal experts really are just like PR arms of the royal family. Like they are essentially connected to the family, so that's why it's all like pro royal propaganda because they're kind of connected to. <laughs> sorry, we just saw but, how the sound is. That's okay. <laughs> Turn the volume down on my headphones. Oh, down. Sorry. That's what I thought we were doing. Okay. That's better. Yeah, yeah. What were you saying, Claudia? Sorry. Royal correspondent there. Sorry about that. I got to what Harry exposed in his book. Yeah, basically, that the royal correspondents and the royal experts are essentially a PR arm of the royal family themselves, which I feel like we all kind of already knew. But him saying that has caused great commotion for some reason, even though we all kind of knew that. That's that's why the royal experts are fawning. Hmm? That's journalism generally. I mean, journalism, celebrity journalism is PR for celebrities, right? Mm -hmm. Political journalism is PR for politicians if you're not on the left. I mean, this is, it's particularly since journalism's become you know, harder to finance. People are just pushing out press releases a lot of the time, right? Yeah, I think you're right. Actually, I take back what I said before about there being something unique about royal journalists. They just act in the same way to sort of protect the systems which they're supposed to be critiquing, right? And what Claudia is, is an independent journalist coming in, disrupting, bringing the truth. You're like the sort of intercept for uh, of royal correspondence. Yeah, I'm trying to bring a bit of democracy to the <laughs> royal fans. But have you guys seen um, the really worrying Met Police tweet about the coronation? No. Have you seen it? Okay, so they this is what they this is what they tweeted. Our tolerance for any disruption, whether through protest or otherwise, will be low. We will deal robustly with anyone intent on undermining this celebration. 
Wow. It makes me feel yeah. safe. I mean, to know the police are really on it, I like that. It's security, right? It's so scary. It's like undermining the celebration is an offence. I mean, it's not surprising. You know, in the police bill, it was like, you know, if you're suspected of protest or something like that, it's just really worrying. And you would think the Met Police would be a little bit more humble considering the year they've had. But why would you expect them to be humble? I mean, if they do that sort of stuff, it's because they have an enormous sense of entitlement, right? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. And the new law, right? Are they in now? Yeah. Just in time. (laughs) Just in time to get those pesky, not my king people off the streets. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, Um, we have really covered the coronation now. Yeah. Not do any more roles. (laughs) It's all right. I'm going to do loads more coronation content. Anyone who's interested, come to my channel. Check out Claudia's channel. (laughs) Yeah. For more (laughs) royal content. Yeah. If we'll ever cover it again on this channel after that. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I feel like there's something, there must be something to be said about uh, this, the fact that there was a lot of talk before the Queen died about what would happen with Charles because he is uniquely unpopular, I think, among people that are sort of in line to be, well, that are likely to be on the throne, not maybe entirely in line. But um, yeah, and now he's here, things have just sort of, Plod on as usual, don't they? And people get behind the king. Uh, but I, I was thinking, like, the problem with Republicans is that there's this idea that what we need to do is get rid of the monarchy to, like, bring in a kind of bureaucratic, like, way of, which is, I don't know, has that, has that ever happened? Has it always just been a bloody revolution? Is there any, has there ever been a sort of successful dismantling? peaceful dismantling of the royal family. They got rid of lots of the German monarchy, didn't they, after the First World War? There was, like, German but there monarchs was, there all was over the place, the First right? World War. That, yeah, but the actual happens. getting rid of them wasn't... Okay. ...was, well, I think, fairly... I don't know the history properly, but I think it was fairly peaceful. I think there probably have been. Um, I mean, it's just... I mean, we're My not history's any... terrible. <laughs> yes, it was mine. We're, we're I not think we position... should cut this. <laughs> Then we should cut it. Because like, what is this just us talking about stuff we don't know about? No, I do have I do have one question now. Oh, we're a correspondent. Claudia. Yeah, no, I do have I do have a question. Are people excited where you're at generally? Like, are you seeing flags? Are you seeing excitement from people? Or is it just oh, not a thing? It's not a thing. In London, it's not a thing outside of um you know, commercial spaces. You and Tesco, there's stuff. I walked I I walked here and there was a hotel which had a massive big image in it. Lots right of Charles front. jump scares everywhere at the moment. Yeah, but there's <laughs> not, there, as far as I haven't had anyone, but I'm mean, I hang out in left-wing circles, but I haven't seen flags in people's homes where I am. Have you, what about where you are? Not very many. I mean, the schools have got a couple of flags up and they're doing like coronation picnics and things. And then, so I go to like my local church and they're doing some like coronation things. But to be honest, I think a lot of it's, more so that the older generation are having like a kind of community thing really I don't think anyone I've I've not really seen anyone be excited about Charles like you were saying like people genuinely actually liked the Queen didn't they like a lot of people genuinely did there's not really any of that for Charles it's just people saying well we might as well have fun like there's not the same sentiment there at all but yeah Yeah. I think the older people and the more affluent people there are some flags but yeah, I wonder about the crowds that'll actually come out because it's one thing to sort of celebrate in your own way in your house or whatever, and to enjoy the bank holiday weekend. But people would go out uh, to central London and stand miles away from Buckingham Palace um, all day just to see a glimpse of the Queen, which I know I think is quite bizarre, but there was a real popular feeling like people loved the Queen in a way. It was all beyond the monarchy itself. Uh, yeah, I'd maybe say the monarchy came second, right? And now with the with Charles, the monarchy is the thing, and Charles is sort of just a, like propping it up, right? So I yeah. wonder, will will there be the sort of crowds that they, they used to come out for the Queen? There'll be crowds. There'll be crowds, but I wonder if there'll be like a sort of Donald Trump, like, oh, this is the biggest crowd when it's actually going to be much smaller than usual. But, but for the Queen, there wasn't the crowds there were for Diana. You know, 
Yeah, but I mean when the Queen just did boring stuff. No, I'm talking about the, for the, yeah, that's true, but for the funeral and stuff, it wasn't like for Diana. So even with the Queen, there was a deterioration of, of interest relative to someone where there was genuine grassroots appeal. Yeah. Uh, the Queen was very manufactured from above, in my view. Yeah, yeah. But then that kind of worked on, I think a lot of people did feel that. Uh, but a deterioration year by year. The people like the Queen, like the Queen herself, have died off, and that's because it, you know if you look at the the younger generation, just whether they like the Queen, Charles, or our family in general, it's all a lot less. And so between ninety seven or it was ninety seven, whenever it was, and when Diana died, yeah, yeah. Now it's obviously that's a massive amount of people that would have been, you know, the, the generational shift has happened, and it'll happen again. Also, Diana died in tragic circumstances to put it one way which made it such a big thing whereas the queen you know there was it was kind of a long time coming yeah i mean i talk about the i won't i won't talk about this too much heather because i i know that like, no, <laughs> like the royal stuff is like don't want you to say i might walk out <laughs> but i do think that like um, the PR for the Queen has been successful partly because of her age. You know, she was branded. The branding was very successful as the nation's grandmother. You know, people were grieving her like they knew her. And I do feel sorry for Charles as a mascot in that sense, because I feel like he's been he's the last one that's been like fully groomed and indoctrinated for a role that no longer exists and a world that no longer exists. Now he's here. And I do feel like a bit of sympathy about that. I don't like him at all, but that has got to be a gutting waste of life, I think. Like, I don't think there was any way that could have worked, personally. Yeah, yeah. what do you have to say to that? Let's prolong the <laughs> conversation. Come on. <laughs> you want to make, you want to say something, Claudia? You can say something back. And, oh, <laughs> come by and... Let's talk about the Labour Party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So the other thing that happened, or the other thing that's happening in the moment, is uh, the Labour Party doing very well. Good on the Labour Party, Keir Starmer going to be the new prime minister um everything's working out fine yeah well done Keir. that crushing the left is really the way to the heart of the electorate after all well he's, he's proven it right well the results are all in and they're more complicated <laughs> than that so should you i like all pricier results like my five points or something because i did think about this first of all turnout is down yeah i was trying to find that they they, they don't put it up they found it made it difficult to find exactly what it was. So Britain elects tracks turnout on each seat. So I just went through some of those. Okay. And it's not down everywhere, but it's down, it, it, as far as I can tell, it's down in most places. They'd said on the news, the only thing it said was it's, it's not significantly down from 2019 and 2022. But I would have thought 2022 would have been massively down in 2019. Yeah, that's, that's, they're talking about 29, was there 2019 local elections? They must be talking about those, not the general. Those were the Europe ones right okay i don't know if they meant those ones but they were quite high because i would have thought they would have been because it was no you, the european turnout was bad okay. a lot of people who did turn out drew it was pe- just the they, they drew penises on ballot papers that right. was a that was an all-time high for that um i talked to someone who'd been to the count in hackney they should always keep that how ha- what was the penis count yeah every election <laughs> so turnout looks like it's down i suspect it's it might be partly voter ID, but my feeling is it's like conservatives not turning up. Well, that's the thing because on the on you know just I don't believe them, but you know the BBC News was saying the turnout turnout isn't down or it's slightly down, but it's but voter ID is a success. It hasn't. Yeah. Like, so, but you're saying that's not what you're saying. So I might, well, I haven't got the uh, the overall data. I just and looked they at. Give it to you either. Yeah. Um. But it does look like it's down. And, and if it is, I think it's Conservative staying at home. Also, Conservative votes are switching. And they are switching, I would say, roughly in proportion to Labour and Lib Dems. So, you know, I think they're getting 20% or so extra seats, each of them. So if you were really wanting Labour to win, you'd be wanting to see that switch all go to Labour. And it there is a kind of small emergence of a left. It's You have to kind of be a little optimistic. But the Greens have gained the most proportionately from incredibly low base 20 or so seats um so far contested and they've they've more than doubled so that's that's a good base for them also a couple of um people who were in the labor party and were kicked out have won independently 
And Liverpool's interesting because Liverpool was the test case for could independents who were formerly Labour councillors run viably as a slate between them. And so far, only one has won. I mean, not all of them have counted yet because Liverpool's counting this afternoon. But even the ones who didn't win came in a good second. So it is a viable option to do that when you're known locally and when you have a community where these issues, like in Liverpool, there is a left-wing area. They, they formed I've a group as well. They so formed they a group. Together. Yes, this is why it's more important, I think, than Plymouth, when one person won as an independent just in his area. Um, who'd been kicked out of Labour, but it doesn't really show a viable way forward if it's just one person. Whereas the Liverpool independence was a model, you think, well, could that translate? And I think that's a little bit optimistic. I don't want to go overboard. If I was still a person who backed Labour, I would be fine with these results. I'd be fairly happy. But I'd be worried because the polling is so much better than these results. So I would think the polling was off if mm. I saw these. And, and I think the polling is off because I think a lot of the polling is don't knows. And they're cut out and the don't knows are probably going to be Tories um, who don't at the moment don't want to say they're Tories. So that's that's what I came up with to, to say. Well, I think with the, the low turnout, it, it could be swing voters as well. It could be it's not I don't think it's entirely in the Tories favour. Right. Um, but I think it's interesting with the independents, particularly on local elections where there isn't. I mean, I don't know how much campaigning they did in Liverpool, but generally people aren't as engaged um, there, there isn't as much focus. I, I, like I said, there was nothing on BBC News that there even was an election, right? Whereas if, when you have a general election, if you do have particularly high-profile candidates, like if you had some MPs running as a sort of independent group uh, with councillors, as well as that, that sort of party would get some traction, right? People would actually know who they are. I think it's actually easier in a local election without a general. In the general, you get people who aren't so politically engaged voting, who will just vote for a party. Mm. What you get in a local is a chance to mobilise. They did a lot of campaigning. They actually had groups going out in Liverpool. I saw the photos. You get a chance to really mobilise your core support and maybe win, which at least one person did convincingly. So no, that's, I'm, not, I, that's not a good sign <laughs> for the for the general election. For the there. general, I think it's it's harder, but because but it could work where someone's known like Jeremy Corbyn, Diane Abbott. It could work. Speaking of Diane Abbott, shall we move on to the next story? Oh no, wait, sorry. I just got a tiny thing to say. That's right. I was just going to say about the voter ID. Shall I? Like, I was just going to say about the voter. Yeah. yeah, I was just going to say about the voter ID situation, because I don't know, like I had to actually apply for voter ID because I don't have a passport or anything. And it was the same with my mum. And I feel like I do feel like that's actually going to have brought the turnout down because it was quite complicated in terms of getting it. And I don't think that would have been very easy, particularly for people around here who were elderly and things like that. So what, what did you I, end up getting without you don't have a driving license either then? So No, I don't have anything with like photo ID or anything like that. So you, we you just like had a to special thing just for this. Yeah, well yeah, but I can use it for like ten years apparently to vote with. Okay. Um yeah, but there wasn't really much information either about I don't know, they weren't really, you know, making sure people remembered it, <laughs> particularly around here. It was like we had to keep saying, Okay, we mustn't forget to do that. It was like they didn't particularly really want people to <laughs> Go and vote. Was the process online to get this special photo ID, was that really good, really well organised? <laughs> it was actually all right. Yeah. It was okay. Well, it was, was it difficult for me. Like everything, the bloody portal that you do your taxes and all of that. I hate that portal. It's like, Gov, it, was it not through that? I don't know. <laughs> you know I don't know. Do your taxes. Don't do your taxes on <laughs> no. What else is the portal? Driving license. You know the portal. I, I do my taxes, yeah. Yeah, so, it drives me up the wall, that thing. Yeah, but also, I just have to say, I turned on the news this morning and Keir Starmer's on my turf. He's at Chatham today. So I'm Medway Towns, Chatham. That's like my place. And he was standing there, joyful, like just something particularly personal about seeing him there. I'm not expecting it. Yeah, because Labour gained a few. Labour gained Medway, right? Yeah, so they. it says that they... Um, so the Tories have had the Medway Council for like 20 years. Um, and I think we've had quite a lot of UKIP stuff 
in the Midway Towns as well. So it's really good. It's like, it's such mixed feelings because I'm obviously like, I am happy. My personal seat around here remained Tory. But I am happy that it's kind of switched over to Labour. Like I'm obviously happier it's that than the Tories. But it just feels so un- unjust and frustrating. I mean, I know I don't have to say it to you guys, but it just winds me up. I mean, if you get a Labour council, doesn't that just mean that you're just about to get your budget slashed? Isn't that what you've, it's basically happened? Yeah. You get levelled down. <laughs> you get levelled down. There's no levelling up, but there's a lot of levelling down. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, um, Diane Abbott. So uh, we both put our videos about Diane Abbott. And Claudia, you are on the brink of putting out a video as well. Yeah, it should be out in the next couple of days, but I've got a lot to live up to now. <laughs> the third in the trilogy. <laughs> yeah. I think it's interesting that we're the only lefty YouTube people who actually are just like Solidarity Diane. This is very fucked up what's happening. Everyone else is like so hedgy about it. Um, like Owen, jo- I commented on Owen Jones in my video, but and he put out a video after I recorded and before I released it. So some people referred to it. So I watched it and he spends most of the time just explaining what's wrong with what she said. It's like, why are you spending two thirds of your video explaining what's wrong with what Diane said? Like, it's completely irrelevant to what's happening. And all it does is like move the focus onto something that shouldn't be on. It should be on the mechanisms by which this is being used to destroy um, a black left-wing woman who was the first black female MP. What yeah, I mean, I, I kind of come at it from the perspective of, you know, I kind of look at like oppression dynamics and trauma dynamics and things like that. So that's kind of where my videos kind of taking it. But it is really frustrating that people are viewing it out of context because, you know, I agree it wasn't brilliantly worded, but that shouldn't be the focus. The focus is they've been trying to get her for ages. They've been desperate to get her to react. It's part of a, a wider power structure. And people are just pretending at this point, and I feel like I'm going crazy, that they don't understand her basic point, which was that if you are perceived as a person of colour on site, the racism you face will present differently, (laughs) which I feel like we all know it's true. (laughs) You know, and I just, that's kind of where my video is taking it because I feel like she gets baited and baited and baited. And some part of the problem with when it comes to people like Diane Abbott is that she's not afforded humanity. She's not afforded like mistakes. You know, if you look at people in the party, the things they've said and done, people who are now coming out and saying all sorts of things about like the pro the GRT community, which is absolutely right to be pro them, but who themselves have done nothing to help the GRT community and have their own history of being awful. It's just rotten. And I feel like it's part of her bullying and it's part of the abuse against her and people not recognizing that pattern. It's dangerous to me that they can't recognize that as part of a much broader pattern. Yeah, I was going to ask, um, what's the latest on that? Has Diane said anything since uh, the apology or since she's lost the whip? I don't think so. I think she'll keep quiet and wait and see what happens um, until there's a kind of judgment on it. Mm-hmm. But I think we kind of know what the judgment will be, right? Yeah, they're investigating it. I don't, you know, yeah. It's just such a ridiculous... Well, I suppose, is that even officially what's happening? Or is that just what they say, like the euphemism? Because there's nothing to investigate, right? They're discussing, they're plotting, but they're, they're deciding. This is always the way. I mean, in my investigation was stupid as well. Like, they give you statements that you set. There is nothing to investigate. And they spend, like, 15 months in this pseudo-process. I mean, all of it's a, a, a fabrication. This is what witch hunts are. They're a fabrication of processes cover for what's going on but do you, do you think in this case there is a general uh a genuine even dilemma for the labor party because i don't know if it was actually really keir starmer's sort of dream that this happened i think a lot of people think oh it's just fallen uh diane abbott's fallen into this trap or she's tripped up and this is a godsend to keir starmer but i don't think I think this is sort of something that's a little bit uncomfortable, even for Starmer. No, like, you don't think so. No, I think no. he really wants to get rid of her. Okay, I think she. I, mean, I think she's been causing trouble from his point of view for quite a long time, and 
that he likes getting rid of every single left winger. He particularly he'd like to take out the trio. I think John McDonald be the other one, but it's much harder with John because John is so incredibly cautious. Like there was a New Statesman interview with him recently, and he brought a written statement to read about what's going on because he didn't want to put a word wrong. I like that if, if he never ever spontaneously speaks again, <laughs> just like different. Depending on what you say, he's got various things he might say, but these nothing else. I mean, to be fair, he did speak spontaneously about a few things, but it was just on the well, purge. For now, yeah, for now. True. Yeah, a, I mean, I think that like, God. I, yeah, I just think it's interesting that um, there has been some people who were not on the left, who were sort of in support of Starmer in some ways, who are saying, "Well, actually, maybe we should forgive Dan Abbott," which is completely ridiculous when you look at other people who haven't been forgiven. That's the problem. The logic of what's happened over the last few years in Labour Party is that Diane Abbott has to be expelled. Uh, but in any kind of sane world, like, it's just a non-story. Um, so then it's like, well, is it what Starmer wanted to? He, he, he will have to expel her, I think, because the backlash from people that have bought into this narrative it would be so big if he didn't it would be a bigger problem for him but whether he'd want to do that i think could be I, i'm not sure i'm not sure he'll do probably what he did with jeremy which is not suspend her from the part expel her from the party because that's more difficult but just um keep the whip suspended so that she can't be a candidate next time and he'll be very happy with that as a result and it's much harder to contest um but eventually it'll have to go to the nec before the election right that's just keeping the whip suspended. I didn't really understand how that worked with Corbyn. If if they just kept Corbyn in the situation he was before, what, what was it, a few weeks ago, a month ago, when the NEC decided he wouldn't run, could he have run without the whip? I don't understand how that he, would You can't run without the whip. So it's just more of a formal... Yeah, I think yeah. it also means, probably makes it a bit easier to start the selection process. Oh, right, yeah. Um, yeah. I think there was a desire on his part to publicly humiliate Jeremy, um, I don't know whether there's a desire on his part to publicly humiliate Diane. Um, yeah, I, I feel like... Who knows? He's yeah, a pretty strange human being, so perhaps... Diane, Diane Abbott's chances in Hackney North as an independent. Oh, you're on the spot, Heather. You want me to answer that? Well... You were in Hackney North. I used to live in Hackney North. I, I don't. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll, I'll give my point. Yeah. You know, you, you're in Hackney South. You're not too far. Um, I don't actually know. Um, <laughs> I she, don't know either. She's an iconic figure. How much that will carry, I don't know. I don't know that with Jeremy either, because I, I, this is something I've been thinking about. There's a lot, like in terms of um, popularity of an individual, irregardless or regardless, irregardless or regardless of their party. Jeremy Corbyn is obviously. Of like probably one of the strongest, if not the strongest sort of candidate in the country, right? Where he is liked ind individually by people within the constituency. Uh, but that's, there is like a greater, like when it comes to Diane Abbott, there's a similar feeling in Hackney, but also having lived in Hackney and knowing more about the Labour Party, the Labour membership there. Um, and I imagine it's the same all over the country and definitely next door in Islington North. Like the, the the members and even people that are not members but are engaged and like Diane Abbott engaged in politics is a fraction of the people who actually turn out and vote for Labour just because that's what they do. And so when it comes to an election, then they may not even know Diane Abbott. They might not even know who she is. Even if they do, they might not know that she's been expelled, that she's not even running. Um, they might, or they might not care, and they just always vote Labour. And, and what the difference in numbers is between people that, yeah, I have no idea, and I'm, I don't, I've not seen anything kind of written about that. So I, I randomly spoke to someone the other day, like I'm trying to do this whole random vox pops thing. So I was like, um, talking to someone, it's it, who it was in a kind of posh cafe because I was interested in the afternoon tea thing because my mom likes afternoon tea. And in Hackney? A, no, in the central London. <laughs> there's a link. But, so I said to him at the end, like, do you like, what do you think of Jeremy Corbyn? And he looked a bit nervous. And then 
he sort of said, well, I live actually in Jeremy Corbyn's like area in Highbury and I see him around a lot and he seems really nice. He's always talking to people. And I, oh, I said, that's great. Um, and, and so actually I think Jeremy probably, there's a lot of people like that with Jeremy. I think probably more than with Diana. He's much more, I think he's so present in his constituency more than any other MP in the whole country that it might be different for Jeremy. I don't know with Diane because I don't I don't know how it would work and how many of Hackney North Labour Party would be willing to split and support her. Um, yeah, I don't know that thing. with that's also the same issue with Islington North. I don't think either of them will stand as independents. Really? Yeah. Because I've heard that Corbyn will. Okay. Corbyn's already decided, but he's just going through the, the motions, as it were. What are your sources on that? Uh I can't tell you. It's my what well, it's what I really wish to happen. <laughs> um, well, actually, no. Um, I'll give you a source. There was uh, that guy that wrote that book from the you know the Times journalist. There was two of them. Oh, Hogrunt. Yeah, or the other one. <laughs> I don't know the other one. One of the one of those two was on the Times Radio podcast, and he said that. He said that he'd been told because he's really close to Jeremy Corbyn. Exactly. He's like he's like a proper he's ally. Heard us wrong before, so it definitely is going to run. No, I mean, I you you seem very sure that he isn't, and I think there's. I mean, I I don't know if Corbyn really knows himself, but um, I don't think he can. Uh, well, maybe he does, but I I don't think um, it's clear cut that he's not going to run. Do you do? Um, I'd put it. I don't know. Because do you, do you think because you'll have to run against Labour? Yeah, I don't think he'll run against Labour. I just I can't see him doing that personally. What do you think, Claudia? I have a feeling he will. Actually, I don't know why. I just yeah. do feel that he will. I I can't even explain why. I just think so. It's about it's that wish. <laughs> I just want it to happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but I've got no sources on that. I just think possibly. I don't think Diane Abbott will. Is my feeling. Um, she was still posting, wasn't it yesterday? She was posting all the vote Labour things. Um, I understand, though, it's more difficult for her, I suppose, you know, because she is facing all that racial stuff as well. I do, I can recognise that it's probably a lot scarier for her in terms of that. But I think Jeremy will stand. And I think he'll win. These my prediction. But... That's interesting. Yeah. Do you want to start? Do you want to go back to the royal family, Heather? <laughs> Have we not got any other topics to discuss? We... No, this is good. I'm interested because I was saying, yeah. Well, if so, if Corbyn runs and Diane Abbott, why wouldn't she run? That would make no sense. I mean, I, I think you might be right, Claudia, that she wouldn't. But... I, I think Diane is more likely to run than Jeremy. So I think I don't know either of them particularly, but my impression is that Diane is less invested in the Labour Party above all else than Jeremy is. I think that's the crucial factor in whether you run or not. So this is just my impression from them as yeah. how they present themselves. I can't see that Jeremy's going to like want to split his local party and to say that the route is outside of Labour to the whole country, that there is a route outside Labour, because he doesn't believe there's a route outside Labour. His whole life is about you're in the Labour Party, that is the way you get socialism as much as you can in the UK. Storm is trying his best to, to show Corbyn that it's not true. Yeah. He won't get the message. Well, and I think that is a problem with Corbyn, to be honest. Not not saying that he should run or shouldn't run. I don't really know what the best situation is. But his political understanding about the Labour Party, it's it's funny because he's in such, and not, not because he chose to be, but he's in such an important position now, sort of nationally as a national figure, that his personal opinion of it actually almost makes it true yeah. like he creates the truth out of it if he was totally against the Labour Party it would mean that the Labour Party wasn't the only place for socialism but as it stands he does believe it and thus it is so yeah I think that's, that's partly true he's got a very yeah. symbolically important role and that's difficult for him and difficult for us what can we do about it? I don't know if there's anything much we can do about it right now. Um, I do think like... Is there anything we can do about anything? I think 
councillors quitting and running independent is good. I think what's happened in Liverpool is good. I think um, Emmerdent Code quitting is is good. What about if councillors in Islington North quit? So one has, Matt Nathan's quit. Okay. Yeah, and so he can support Cole Burnham because he's pissed off about what's happened. But if, they, if, if a small group of councillors start to run independently, then it would put pressure on Corbyn to support them. In which case, he might as well run. So they won't run independently before then because local elections in London are only every four years. Yeah. So in that sense... Yeah, that's true. And there's only one so far. And the other one who's left has said, I'm going to support Jeremy from inside the party. So I think it's still tricky. But yeah, if there was a whole group of them who felt like this is the way to put pressure on Jeremy, um, maybe. Yeah, that's interesting. This is all very speculative, isn't it? I'm not... uh, yeah, but uh, no one's got any answers on this, right? I mean, it's all just happened. I think with Diane Abbott, the other thing is that it has happened so soon that I I imagine. Do you think there's? I don't know. Actually, I'm just I'm just I'm just asking questions, as they say. I'm just asking questions. Uh, do you think she thinks she might have a chance of getting back into Labour? The investigation. <laughs> We'll we'll find out some information that'll help her get back in. I don't know. Because Chloe's saying she's still putting out publicly support for Labour, right? Which I guess is the standard thing that she does every election. Um, and maybe to change it would be as big a sort of news as to not do, do it at this point. But um, it also is the sort of thing that she'd want to do if she's hoping that she'll get brought back in right and it's sort of like seamless there's two options one is that she's hoping to get brought back in the other is that she knows she won't but she wants to expose starmer along the way and the way both lead you to post labor party stuff well this is the thing i wanted to you get know? back to right so you don't think it is a problem for starmer and maybe it isn't in his mind he doesn't see it as a problem but do you think it could be a problem generally for people um, for Labour electorally, I don't know how significant it would be, but to get rid of someone like Diane Abbott in the way that it, that getting rid of even Corbyn, it, I mean, there's obviously going to be some electoral damage for getting rid of Corbyn, but he was basically, you know, by the end of it, there was, wasn't was really anything he could do about it. I guess I'm thinking, like, where is, what is Starmer's choice in this? Like, when it came out, right, could Starmer have not acted does Starmer even have any control at this point? You know, the letter comes out, it blows up on Twitter, um, fingers are getting pointed, anti-Semitism becomes the main focus, even though obviously it was about all sorts of stuff, right? Turn to the Labour leadership, what are you going to do? Instantly remove the whip, right? That's what they did. What choice did they have at that point? But maybe they helped manufacture those choices. I don't know anything about this, but they could clearly... They have lines into media, right? Yeah. They have journalists. They could clearly, as they did with some of their own allies, like, you know, the whole anti-Semitic tweets that we've had about um, lab- a, a Tory donor uh, pulling strings. They clearly managed that, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. They could have chosen to manage this. They chose, I think, to hype it up, to make it worse, to encourage people to, oh, yeah, to pile sure. on. So this is not about... Oh my God! It's an awful situation. Keir Starmer has to decide no, no, what no, to I'm do. This is Keir Starmer and his allies creating a horrible situation for Diane that they can use to get rid of her. I mean, no, I mean it's go big or go home. They obviously went that that way, but I'm just wondering in that situation if they decided to defend Diane Abbott. Well, they defended lots of people, and it worked. They defend all their allies all the time over all sorts of shit that's racist and anti-Semitic and homophobic. And they have no problem doing it, and the media play along with it. So, but, but yeah, that's the thing with the media have played along. I suppose they would have. I guess you're right. If Starmer, if they'd come put out a strong message that they're backing Diane, the story would have died to death. It would just been people on Twitter. I don't believe anything. how much empathy you have for Kiss Starmer right now. Empathy for him. I'm trying, to say I'm trying to work him out. I've got no empathy at all. I'm trying to understand what what makes him tick. So that, uh, I honestly feel that he is I, I honestly feel like this is this is good for him. I mean, I kind of agree with you on this, Heather, because I feel like I think it's almost it's a symbol, like it's a message to the voters he wants. 
because he's shown he's got no interest in fighting against racism. I mean, the new like Rishi Sunak posters and stuff. I honestly don't think, I think he's playing into the fact that Diane Abbott is one of the most racially abused MPs. And I think she's going to be got rid of. And I think he's going to use it to his advantage because I don't think he wants her there. I mean, she's spoken out against him a few times. I mean, I've seen quite a few tweets and things she replies to. I personally think he, he wants this and I don't think he cares. I don't think he cares at all. I mean, if he did care, it might be a smart way to try and get some of the left back. But I don't I don't think he's got any interest in that. I, can I just say, I yeah. never said that I thought he cared. You I love Kiss Starmer. <laughs> you love him. I don't love him, right? <laughs> he's, just, he's just, you know, he's got a little bit of... He's quite handsome, isn't he? He's got a little bit of... <laughs> um, but, it's, you know, I, I just fancy him. I mean, I'm not in love with him yet. Maybe we'll see what happens in the election. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, no, I don't, I don't think he cares. Yeah. At all. But I'm just thinking from his sort of computer brain, like, what is the best thing to do here? And what would the fallout be either way? And I think it's sad. I think it's sad that there'll be no fallout from this. There will be some fallout. Oh, great, good. Yeah, <laughs> I do think. So he's alienating blocks of voters, right, who have traditionally voted Labour. Um, and he's thinking about that. That's what I mean. He's had to make a tactical decision. Right? No, I don't think he's thinking about that. Why not? Because his whole orientation, his first priority is to destroy the left. Okay. His second priority is to get elected. Now, he thinks they're connected, I think. I don't really know what goes on in his head, but he's certainly bought into the idea they're connected, in my view. But he sees that as primary. He sees that as primary because that's where you win the media over, I guess. That's the way you appeal to conservative voters by setting a distance from Jeremy Corbyn. And because there's a visceral hatred of the left and it satisfies his need need for that to play out that visceral <laughs> hatred. So there's a kind of pure um, pleasure principle operating as well, I think, as, as calculation. Don't think it's pure calculation. But yeah, there will be fallout. You don't get rid of someone who's iconic um, because they're the first black woman MP without some fallout um, in the sense of people being alienated from the party. But there's also that there's nowhere else for them to go thing that always comes back to where for a lot of people they'll end up voting Labour, whatever happens, right? And it's those sort of people that he can disregard. He doesn't have to appeal to. Yeah, although I think a lot of them won't vote. Yeah. I mean, like um, a lot. But the hope is they won't vote Tory either. And yeah. Sunak's pretty dreadful, so I don't see... I mean, it's a shame we've been talking about like Sunak. Like, there's no appeal from the two parties in terms of policies. It's purely about sort of what they do to their own party, to their own MPs, and how they come across. Like, there's there's just no, and I just think that's just unbelievable how that's all fallen by the wayside. Um, there was someone on TV today talking about how what's happened in this election that just went by, and the fact that the Tories have done so badly. It shows how damaging Boris Johnson and Truss's governments have been. And I think, I don't know, Johnson won a landslide. Like, I, I feel like there's this real sort of trying to turn away from what Johnson was doing, which I disagree with, but there was there was Brexit. There was an idea of, of building a sort of political project, as bullshit as, as it was. That's what they didn't like about it. It was lies, right? But he was talking about politics. Uh, and of course, there was Corbyn as well. And there's just a real attempt to just absolutely bury any political conversation. Um, so it's yeah, and I think people that that's the thing you need to be you need to vote against in whatever way you can. Anyway, anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. Heather, you just made a video recently. I did. I um I did the anti-Semitism training module online. Which was so you're no longer anti-Semitic. No, I really feel I should be like back into the Labour Party because I got all the questions right. Well, <laughs> How did I, you know? Are you saying you can somehow deceive the test? Is that what you say? Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, it's really bad. It's worse than I thought it would be. Well, the, the training itself, not your anti-Semitic. <laughs> 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 I didn't realise how bad I was until I did the test. 
Yeah, so I, I watched your video. Um, although you'd sent me the slides before, I thought it was, and the videos, the videos were fantastic. Um, it was like a sort of um, top of the pops, like run through of the the big players in the anti-Semitism crisis and labor over the last five years. It's so funny, like if you if you went to do any kind of training on something, and and then you got like, and instead of it, you know, you imagine it being a sort of broad, maybe sort of historically how this has come about. Um, how it sort of works across the world and maybe in Europe and then how it works. But it, then you just get this sort of like run through of the sort of media narrative against Corbyn. And that's yeah. that's anti-Semitism training. It's pathological. Someone said that um, in one of the comments on my video, which is like the, the pursuit of Jeremy Corbyn in a training module is completely pathological. No corporation would be like, we are going to construct a training module on equalities issues of some kind. And what we're going to do is mostly slag off the previous boss and yeah. make sure you know that things were really bad under the previous boss and are much better under the new boss. It's insane. Um, and I actually put these videos, these short videos of Margaret Hodge and Ruth Smith and the guy from Jewish Labour Movement in. And I think that some people said they just couldn't keep watching my video because they were just so distressing to watch these videos. I should not, I should put them in later. Otherwise it affects my stats, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, they're the best bits. I mean, to different audiences, you know, I, I enjoyed those the most. They are triggering though. I mean, like, they, yeah, I mean, I had to watch them like a lot of times for this as well. It was really horrible. I'm, I'm so beaten. I, they used to be triggering when it meant something, but now it's like in that, in terms of that fight, for now for me now it's just they're just sort of funny almost um but yeah i know i i understand like i remember watching some of that stuff as it was happening in 2019 yeah that was horrendous yeah i mean i think i mean i loved your video so much on this other but i mean i think that the thing that's so frustrating is that like I feel like it is important that they teach about the ways in which anti-Semitism manifests. It feels like an opportunity to actually teach something that, you know, we don't get taught and in a way that's really positive and, and helps people, for example, when they're talking about apartheid in Israel, you know, when they're talking about these issues, it's not designed as a helpful tool, is it? <laughs> At all. It's just, it's like you're saying, it's like a guilt trip. It's like an anti-Corbyn, like the amount of like, you know, how much they brought Palestine into it was really shocking you know I, I was expecting them to give like an overview of right these are the these are the tropes and this is where they come from and this is the history of that and this is how it's been used so be careful but it, it just I honestly thought at times it was a parody I was saying this to you earlier I couldn't actually believe it, it was real it's, it's quite it's mad it's mad how it's all gone down yeah it's like if you had training on Islamophobia right and all the contemporary examples of Islamophobia related to Israel-Palestine and then they had one section out of four, which was how to how to support Israel without being Islamophobic. Like people would be up in arms if that was the case. But this is what this training is. It's just obsessed mm -hmm. with Palestine um, to a level. Yeah, to a level I didn't expect. Um, you know. And I think, as you say in the video, there's, it doesn't actually answer any of the issues that you might have. It sort of talks about yes, free Palestine's okay, but but if you write the word kike above it, now it's racist. Like, okay, I don't think anyone was in any doubt about those two issues. <laughs> yeah, if you if you plaster it on a synagogue and write the word kike, it becomes racist magically. You might have not realized that. It's like well, maybe if you put that in front of anything, it's like they focus on the wrong bit, the completely yeah. wrong bit. It's like free Palestine. It depends on the context. Like, who wrote that? That person is just an idiot, whoever wrote that. They didn't even look at the picture. Um, yeah, how could you miss the word kike? Like, it's insane. Um, anyway, the whole thing is... But oh. it would have been interesting if they had gone into that, right? If they had talked about what... <laughs> Nobody was kicked out the Labour Party for writing kike free Palestine. It would have been... <laughs> but like, if you talked about some of the things that people had been kicked out for as was seen as anti-Semitic, or even like the support, the the denialism factor, you know, like that whole element, which is as like you said, do you say in the video, 
obviously this goes to, to people that have been accused of anti-Semitism, but also goes to people accused of denialism, the majority of which would be the latter, right? I'm assuming it goes to people accused of denialism, but I don't know, right. really. Um, I mean, a very small number of people have done it if it's just for anti-Semitism. Yeah, it's, it's weird, isn't it? Because it's like... That's, I presume, why the Margaret Hodge video is in there and the Ruth Smith video is in there. Because if you say that this wasn't a problem, you have to understand why saying it wasn't a problem is a problem. Um, yeah, I mean, I think everyone should... It should be a big story, this training, because this is the training which... There was only three things that the EHRC had a problem with, right? There were a couple of cases um, which are both both being contested. Um there was training and there was the interference of the leader's office, right? Well, the interference of the leader's office is still happening, but no one's questioning that. The training is shit. And these two cases are being contested. And that is all the HRC report was. Every single bit of it's unraveled. But this is the cornerstone of what has enabled the Labour Party to come out special measures. And they should be saying to the HRC, how could you let this happen? How could you pass this? this training, but no one's interested. The reason I could have it as an exclusive is because no one gives a fuck about what's going on in the Labour Party and being honest about it. Um, it's just really, well, one or two people, but very few. It's very... Yeah, I mean, this is the problem with all of the criticism of it that you get. Um, even John McDonnell, right, defending, oh, we apologise. Like, nobody cares, but the uncensored thing was just bullshit, right? So to... To even play into the narrative, well, we dealt with that. We we apologized for it. We sorted it out. It's like, no, it, you can't sort it out because it wasn't a problem. The only way is to stand up and say that the, the thing, it was a smear campaign and call out what's actually happening. And so all of this kind of, like in a way, I mean, you don't, you don't fall into it exactly, but in a way it's like, what else do you expect from an anti-Semitism training to come, to come out of this process, right? It's going to be some bullshit about Corbyn. Because the whole thing is that, um, and so there's, there's like you. I'm not. I mean, I fall into it. Everyone falls into it, sort of trying to have a good faith critique of what's going on, right? Well, maybe they could improve the anti-Semitism training if they did. <laughs> yeah. No, they can't do that. They have no interest in doing that. Um, and yeah, and and you see it online all the time, right? And the same with the Diane Abbott, like trying to sort of. Well, I can understand why people are offended. I can't believe anyone's actually offended by that, to be honest. Oh, yeah, people will be offended. No. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I, I definitely think with the Diane Abbott thing, I do think that the GRT thing as well, I mean, I do, I have seen, like, I follow a lot of people from the GRT community. Yeah. And I think true, yeah. they, they were definitely frustrated at it being dismissed when they're such a vulnerable group, if that makes sense. Um, so I feel like that was very No, I think valid. it was, but I think it's, yeah. it's the thing where it's like, okay, so offended is in, and then, Diane Abbott quickly apologized for it. Yeah. Um, withdrew the entire statement, right? And it's at that point you've got to think, well, when you're offended, what, what does that mean? Does it mean that you, you know, do you have like a visceral reaction where you, you need to see Diane Abbott punished? Or is that coming from it's very hard to to take what what your reaction to that statement is. Mine personally is nothing. I don't really have, you know, I think it didn't make much sense to me, but I'm you know, I read a lot worse online all the time. Like, she apologised for it. Um, like, the bigger problem is the narrative, the sort of pushback against it. That's what I find very scary. Uh, and for people that are, like, looking at that statement, trying to look at it in isolation as a statement, as opposed to the way that it's, you're sort of offended on behalf of people who claim to represent the Jewish community, for example, who are going to say this anti-Semitic and you have to tiptoe around these kind of issues. Um, and, and if you are even going to apologize for Dan Abbott, you have to start with like a 20 paragraphs, like Owen Jones just saying, well, I do understand totally why it's all, it's like all of that kind of stuff is not your actual reaction to it, right? It's trying to make sense of it for this audience that you yeah. perceive is going to judge you otherwise but it's also that offense is not a problem to me i get offended all the time by things people say i kissed armor offends me if i listen to him for more than like a minute or even more than 10 seconds right but, but i don't have a right to shut him up because i feel offended 
Apparently you did, though. <laughs> oh, he doesn't have to apologise to me. I think he probably should, but um, he doesn't have to, right? He can offend people. Anyone can offend people. I think we have to, like, not be upset by offence and not use it to police speech. There is hate speech. What Diane Abbott did was not hate speech by any measure at all. And so it should be fine. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the thing that's so obvious looking at it is that it wasn't about learning, right? It was about punishment. And I always kind of think when there's a situation like this, how are people using it? Because the people weren't using it in terms of saying, oh, okay, um, this is the, the context. Because people aren't even talking about the context in which she wrote the letter either, which was that poll about how um, white Irish people are more likely to self-report having faced racial discrimination. Well, it's you know, Jewish it's a... people are highest in that self-report. Yeah, yeah. Jewish people are highest. Oh, right. Yeah. But it's like, but sorry. Um, Wait, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. But yeah, they, like, they've stripped, but they stripped the context out of everything she said. And, the, you know, the comment about the redheaded people, etc. They're pretending, like they're fighting against an imaginary argument. They're pretending that it doesn't come from that huge context and they're not educating. Like there's a way to educate about this is anti-Semitism and how it operates and this is this without it being like this kind of attack. I probably haven't phrased that really well, but people were absolutely gleeful. They were they were rejoicing over it, which is not the right reaction. If you actually think that offence has been caused and someone's been racist. That's, the thing. That's why I feel a lot of it isn't, you know, you it's you're pretending to be offended, but you're actually <laughs> jumping for joy. You're loving it. It's like, oh. why are you loving it if you think it's racist? Yeah, exactly. But you're right, because you have this argument that she's trying to make. Um, and then you have... It's like anything else, you know, you, you make an argument and someone can either take that argument on um, or they can pick out uh, parts of it that they that they think are poorly worded or could be offensive to some people or maybe are offensive to you. And then you can just look, focus in on that and, and dismiss the whole argument that's being made rather than you, you can take both. You can say, look, the way that you phrase that is, is unacceptable. People are offended by it. You should apologize. She did apologize. You need to rephrase it in another way, but we get the general point you're making. Rather than just say, well, you've said something here that we as the Labour Party or society, I guess at this point, don't accept that you, you can't say that kind of thing. Therefore, we're not going to even address the argument that you were making. But this isn't really about anti-Semitism. This is the thing. Like, this is the other thing we have to no, it's not about it. So nothing. There's, there's a whole kind of discourse about anti-Semitism, like the anti-anti-Semitism thing, which is essentially used in a really racist way. It has racist impacts. So it has racist impacts, most obviously in Israel itself, in relation to Palestinians. But beyond that, there's a, a you know contemporary art exhibition in Germany every five years called Documenta, and the last Documenta was um, completely curated by. Um, you know, a collective of artists from the third world, from Indonesia, um, the global south, from Indonesia. And they expanded, they got other collectives involved. There ended up being 1,500 artists. The vast majority were artists of colour. The vast majority for, were from the global south. And anti-Semitism was used to completely cancel that exhibition, like to label it as just a site of hatred. It was discussed in the German parliament, Every single party, including the left party, including the Greens, denounced it as anti-Semitic. It was horrible what happened. So all that happens through this anti-anti-Semitism thing is a form of racism. Um, and that's why people like it, because people who are racist like like a tool which allows them to be racist and appear anti-racist. And that's that's what how it works. And it's depressing. And you have useful ideas like David Baddiel. Yeah, I'm glad we got David Baddiel into the podcast. <laughs> I was getting worried there. Yeah, I thought. The end and he hadn't been we have Baddiel, we had Jones. Tick, yeah. tick. Uh, Rich Riley, not involved this week, but she will make an appearance. She will, she will be spoken of again, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. She makes an appearance in my video. Oh, good. Does she? Be careful with that. Ple she fleetingly. <laughs> Very fleetingly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you've got to be careful. Very okay, are we, have we... Yeah, well, I was going to... Well, just from what you were saying, yeah. Guardian, any thoughts? 
racist newspaper should sack the cartoonist, fire the editor. So it is kind of ironic that the two places their that own web. yeah they they built up this web of anti anti semitism because and and also the BBC did the same and they're both being attacked. So there's a certain irony there, but well, it's almost like this idea. Well, it's just idiots that get caught out in this anti-Semitism thing. Like everybody knows what anti-Semitism is. You know, it's just you've either got a sort of racist instinct or you shoot your mouth off and don't think about what you're saying. You don't understand the world. That's the Guardian's position. And then, oh, well, it's actually the Guardian. All of their expertise, the editorial team, this cartoon that was clearly the most, it's the most racist thing I've ever seen. They won't even show it. On this morning, Richard Madeley was like, we won't show it. It's so... It's so <laughs> I think I think Jonathan Friedland. I call on Jonathan Friedland to resign. Yeah, Jonathan Friedland has to resign. I mean, it's just how can he support this unbelievable uh, anti-Semitic institution that is the Guardian? But yeah, they they said it. What did they say in their their response? It doesn't meet our editorial standards. It clearly does meet your editorial standards. I, I don't know how you can say that. Well, the thing is, basically, everything's a trope now. So yeah, how can can you like? Make a cartoon about a Jewish person. Is it possible? You can't. No, <laughs> because that. every single thing is a trope. Um, tentacles are a trope. You have to do like, Love is a like, trope. Uh, it has to be like a sort of Turner. Like, yeah. Who does good, like, good, good portraits? I'm trying to think. Like, it has to be a perfect portrait of the person. Because yeah. if it's any, if it's caricature in any way. Because this is what happened at Documenta. Like, there was a whole load of stuff around it, around artists supporting BDS, which in Germany is officially anti Semitic. But the thing which triggered it was a mural which had um, two images of Jewish people on. It was like about 100 people in this mural. And it was about, um, you know, the the murder of, of left leftists in Indonesia um, and when the dictatorship came in. But one of them was um, a Mossad agent. And it, it, he was with the CIA and with... MI5, I think, and other security services. But he was depicted with the face of a pig and he had a Star of David on. And so the argument was because it's a Star of David, it's not the Jew- the Israeli flag. It's not it's not the right colour. And the pig image, you can't depict Jews as pigs. But the pig image is also, like, has different re- references around the world, just like the image that we had, the Guardian image. You can't see... It's very reductive to say that the only thing that happens when you use a pig to depict a member of the security service is the only only reference point is to Nazi imagery. There's reference points to the Black Panthers, you know? There's reference points to lots of... And this is from Indonesia. There's reference points to kind of ideas about what that represents in that culture. It's a very, very Western... um, What's the word? Centric. Yeah, Western-centric way of evaluating things. It's like, this looks a bit like Nazism, so therefore, fuck you. Um, and and this is, is part of the problem. And I don't see how, like, I don't see I don't see where we go from this because everything's anti-Semitic and it's always going to be used to punish the left and it's always going to be used to punish people of colour and it's always going to be used to support apartheid. Well, we'll keep going in that direction, I think. That's where we'll go. Should we straight end the podcast there? You're all right, Heather. Yeah, it's just, it's this stuff is so fucked up to talk about. I don't like yeah. talking about it very much. I spent my whole we life talking about it. We always end on a downer. And yeah. then we have to like sort of do our wave just to sort of save face that it's not all doom and gloom. Well, it's weird, isn't it? Because we spend our lives talking about stuff that's really awful to talk about. And you do the same on your channel, you do different stuff, but you're talking about stuff that's difficult, right? Yeah, but then I think the fact that there's an audience makes me feel better because it means there's other people that vibe with that and get it, so it's less lonely, even though it's still bad. (laughs) Yeah, it's much worse sitting there and, and, and watching people not debate this, just kind of enact it. Yeah, the like... Check out um, Good Morning Britain with Richard Madeley and um, Luciana Burgess. She was on it and uh, unbelievable interview. Um, I think uh, yeah, next video, next week, that's my video. Is that okay? Let's remember Richard Madeley, shoplifter. Is he? Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. well, I'm very offended. I'm pretty that. sure he's one of the ones who nicked a bottle of wine at um, 
back in the day. Am I, am I missing you came back when people used to go to buy. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> well, just generally, like after some booze, I can't. I for mean, no apparent reason, just because. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. he was famous and he was looking for. A, I don't know. The same reason Hugh Grant had sex in a car, I guess. <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I was inspired by Hugh Grant. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. That's just for me. <laughs> well, we're definitely ending up feet now, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> All right, should we uh yeah. should we do the old wave? Yeah.